Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hi, everyone. Today, I am so excited to have Pork Ryan with us today. Would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure can. Uh, first of all, thank you, Cody, for having me. Uh, hey, everyone. I'm Pork Ryan, the Pork Evangelist. I'm an international livestock educator and also help farmers, both homesteaders and full-time folks, uh, become established businesses on their farm. So super excited to be here. Thanks. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. Um, you know, like I was telling you before, I've seen you speak before, and I just absolutely love your energy. And the first time I heard you speak, you helped me turn around my whole nutrition program with my pig farm. So I'm really excited to get to talk one-on-one with you now. <laughs> what did that change for you? What did what, you learn? Lysine. Oh, mm, yes, yes, yes. I mean, even as a... Uh, animal science major somehow that missed my checkoff list so I was really excited to be like finally something like I can work with besides just my protein levels Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's one thing a a lot of homesteaders don't realize is when you're making your own feed nothing wrong with that I believe in creating alternative feeds and finding ways of reducing your costs Um, the issue is if you don't have a general understanding about swine nutrition Oftentimes, a lot of homesteaders run into the problem of emaciating their pigs, underfeeding their pigs, um, and also uh, giving their pigs too much of the wrong things and not enough of the things that are essential to their growth. Absolutely. I, I, I can't agree with you more that that is, I think, one of our biggest missing windows in the homestead world is coming into it without as much information that could be possible. Not saying everybody else needs, everybody needs to run out and get a degree in ag, because that's definitely not the case. But I think <laughs> there's a whole nother level that we're kind of just missing that we don't even know is there. I mean, it's uh, blissful ignorance. Preach it, sister. Preach it. <laughs> so I, you know, before we get too deep into, uh, you know, like swine nutrition or anything, tell us a little bit more about what a pork evangelist and international educator does? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I know those are two different sides of your personality, but. <laughs> yeah, uh, so the the term pork rind as a personal brand came about because someone in my life said, you know, it'd be really cool. Like you really love pigs and you're advocating for farmers you know, it'd be really cool, like, if your name was, like, Pork Rind, like, it's, it's like, the Pork Rind, R-I-N-D, like, it's almost the same thing, and, you know, we <laughs> laughed and giggled, and then I stopped, and I was like, wait a second, yeah, that makes plenty of sense, let me do that, right. um, so uh, I went from just being called Rind to be called Pork Rind, and then um, back in 2021 to 22, uh, I accepted the term and title of pork evangelist. Um, at first, the pork evangelist was like, 
just a play on words. Um, I love pigs. I love pork. And I identify as an evangelical Christian. Um, so, you know, I just want to play on words. But uh, during 2020 and late 2021, I realized that treating what I do, not just simply as a business, but as a ministry is really important. Um, everything that I'm going to do is an extension from my relationship with Christ. And I realized that when I share my testimony, I'm able to actually help people in their moments of need, in situations or crises. Um, I'll have a lot of people come up to me after the, my session, if I speak at a conference, and they'll literally ask me like, hey, Pork Ryan, um, thank you for sharing your testimony. Like, I also struggle with alcohol. I also struggled with pornography. I also struggled with um, having codependent relationships. Or, you know, I've had people say, hey, can you pray for my marriage? We're really hurting right now. And I would really love if we could have your prayer um, and for God to really intercede in this situation. So God's opened up doors to be in people's lives in ways that I never thought possible. Um, one of my, I guess, photos of fame was when I was at HOA in 2021. And someone took a picture of me praying over a group of men and women. And it like went viral and it blew up and people were like, oh my God, people are praying at HOA. What? That's so crazy. Um, and I, I was like, I was I, there. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I couldn't understand what the excitement was about because this is supposed to be normalized. Mm -hmm. Prayer is supposed to be normalized, especially amongst a group of Christians, yet so many Christians don't value prayer and they don't know how to pray, especially in the public setting. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how that pork evangelist part came into play. Um, in terms of being an international agriculture educator, I well, speak one across- One second the before you move on. Yes, I want to say that after going and listening to your talk on swine nutrition, my husband said I never thought that a talk on swine nutrition would rejuvenize my faith. So yes, <laughs> yeah, he was. But that you know, my husband didn't grow up farming, so every once in a while he like comes in. He's like, I never thought I'd milk a pig. Just never thought that would happen. So you know, he he gets to be reawakened every day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I've, I've milked a pig once. Um, very fascinating experience. I did not drink the milk. No, <laughs> no. We needed to save a piglet, so. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I get to do these things, and I get a whole bunch of DMs from people who are like, thank you for talking more than just about pigs. I didn't know I need to hear all the other messages that you had for me, but man, has it really... Um, similar to your husband, reinvigorated my faith. I think that's amazing that I get to do that on a public stage without any shame or condemnation on my side. You know, your energy, your knowledge, and your vulnerability together, I think is just a very good combination. It's a powerful one. Well, I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> you for that, Coach. You're welcome. So, okay, let's hear about being a what you do internationally, because I thought that was really awesome too. Yeah, so um, I've been a professional speaker and educator for almost six years. Uh, I have 50 plus events under my belt um, from that time, and I've served at least over 5,000 farmers um, and homesteaders. 
so part of what I do internationally is I go overseas to East Africa. Um, so Uganda in Tanzania or Tanzania, if you got a country accent. Uh, and I allow for folks to really find success in their farming journey in their context. Um, my first time in Africa, I was like that typical stupid American thinking that I could save the day with my context and my experience. Uh, and I remember like going to one local village, uh, I think in Mubara. Um, we Uganda. really are a conceited bunch, aren't we? <laughs> Say what? I said, we really are a conceited bunch, aren't we? Amen to that. Amen. Yeah. Chief of all sinners. <laughs> but uh, I um, went to a small village in Mumbara, Uganda, and um, I, I taught people about like feed nutrition for swine. And I made the comment of, oh, well, for protein, you would just use like some type of bean source. So if you don't have soybeans, then you can kind of consider maybe more human grade beans that'd be more applicable. And all you have to do is um, probably boil it. So that way the nutrients would be available for the pigs. Uh, in the American context, that makes sense. Uh, but the villagers started to chatter amongst themselves. And uh, one of the translators um, took me aside just to simply say, that, hey, I probably don't know what they're saying, um, but I'll give you kind of a quick rundown. They're saying uh, that they're really uneasy about your information because um, you're asking them to feed pigs beans that they would eat. And the reality is a lot of them barely have food. <sighs> My heart sank when I heard that because as an educator, I pride myself in being able to um, teach people valuable information. What really allowed for me to become the educator I am today is that I really need to understand people's context before teaching, and even while teaching, understand how to make them successful in their context, not mine. You know, as soon as you said that, my like wheels started turning. Like, ooh, what would be a better idea? <laughs> I just, it's, I think we definitely have that same like. Um, but yeah, that's a really powerful realization. Um, so how have you been able to help them? So we have hard conversations because a lot of people, even here in the States, have dreams and aspirations of what it means to farm or homestead or become profitable through agribusinesses. Um, and the approach that we take uh, overseas, I work uh, and sit on the board of an organization called Eat Beta. E-A-T-B-E-T-A, and that stands for Evangelizing Africa Through Business Empowerment and the Transformation of Agriculture. Um, so when we go there, we believe in appropriate technology and appropriate strategies. So we're not going to give people more than they can handle. Um, we're not going to donate a huge tractor when they've never experienced a tractor. Many of those folks are still um, using hand hose to... Well, and that to just adds a whole other expense and... Yeah. Yep. And if something breaks, they don't know how to fix it. So instead, we believe in appropriate technology and appropriate solutions. Um, so there are times where I've had the hard conversation of suggesting that, hey, maybe pigs are not the first starting point for you, which which hurts for me to say, because I love pigs. I don't, right. don't want to raise pigs. Um, but let's start on really becoming profitable with vegetable production 
which is a little bit more easier to do, um, less financial strain. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we can generate enough income to where when you're ready to support a pig and buy a pig, you'll have enough starting capital to be successful doing that. Well, you know, when my husband and I first moved to where we're living about six years ago, we knew we wanted to expand our farming efforts that we had been doing previously. And so we wanted to find out what the niche was here before we invested in something. And definitely the niche was pigs, but we didn't have the money to start a pig farm. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had the farm, but we didn't have the pigs. And we actually started our whole pig farm with a packet of seeds. So... I mean, we went from seeds to selling starts, to buying quail eggs, to incubating quail, selling day olds, and I made enough money to buy a whole herd of hogs, so. Amen. <laughs> you just, ingenuity. Yep, and patience. Mm -hmm. um, patience truly is a virtue. It is a, a one of the fruit of the spirit, and um, without patience, which I think is an issue for a lot of homesteaders, is they see all these celebrity homesteaders and they're like, oh my God, I have to have all the animals, all the garden beds. Just don't go through the goat face. Just don't do it. Don't go through goat face. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I still have goat PTSD. I used to manage a uh, grade A rod dairy operation. All we did was uh, milk goats. And I, I have a love-hate relationship with goats. They're highly intelligent, which I love about them, but they're also they, they're intelligent in all the wrong ways. <laughs> all the wrong ways. They remind me of a three-year-old like that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, At least, like, I just want to put it out there for my listeners. I don't hate goats. Just maybe talk to me before you get goats, because I can make you be a little bit more intentional about your goat love, you know? <laughs> yes. And have permanent fencing in place. <laughs> yes. Because they are liquid. They will, they will get out of everything. Yep. Exactly. hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. Um, so yeah, I, I believe that, you know, in order to be successful, especially in the home setting um, or any other type of, let's say entrepreneurship, you got to be patient. Uh, I do believe in slow growth and at least initially until you have a really strong plan in place where you can start growing a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. um, but having that patience and understanding that, you know, if I start slow I make mistakes, but the mistakes won't be that that big because I have a low investment. So I'm only getting a certain amount of plants. I'm only getting a couple of animals, not 10 animals that I've never raised in my entire life, but I just start out with one or two. I completely agree with the, on that one. That is such solid advice. Whether, like you said, you're working with, you know, trying to help hunger in Africa or somebody just starting their homestead down the road. Um, you can't do it all yesterday. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that because I'm kind of a go-getter, but there's also that thing that we talk about with the educational piece that if you, I mean, like I knew pigs. So when I started, when I was ready to raise pigs, I bought a whole herd of them. Mm -hmm. um, I had always raised beef cattle. So when my family decided we wanted a dairy cow, we bought one with a calf on it so that if we couldn't figure out how to milk her, she wasn't going to explode. So, <laughs> you know, you kind of got to take those steps to make sure you're covering your butt sometimes. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I feel like uh, from my own experience, strength and hope, um, when 
I feel impatient, it's because I'm not really, I'm not doing things on God's time and in God's pace. And a lot of times, uh, God is not in front of me, he's behind me. So if God's behind me, who's leading the direction? Is it me? Is Or is it something else that I'm trying to obtain that I won't really be able to obtain and still have the same level of joy, peace, and serenity that I would have if I allowed God to set the pace for me? You know what? I couldn't agree more. I was at an event two weeks ago down in Tennessee, and uh, I was listening to this speaker, and I just started crying, and my daughter was like, what's wrong, mom? You know, like, what happened? And she, you know... Like she, she was, you know, not even comprehending it because she's 14 and doesn't, you know, like she was listening to the speaker, but she doesn't feel it at that depth, you know? And I said, I've got to take some things off my plate because I know what I need to do now. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I called my team, I called my husband and I was like, y'all are going to think I'm crazy, but this is what has to happen. And they were like, no, this is, this is good, you know? So, and I, that stress has like, completely left Mm, mm. like the stress of all the things I needed to accomplish I said no we're just those things aren't going to be accomplished right now because this other bigger thing is going to happen and I don't have any stress like I just know it's going to work so you know what that is what you just said you know what that is faith not just a faith that's a testimony Mm. Because you acknowledge that you were there were things that you weren't doing because there might have been an area or two where you lacked focus and direction. And sometimes that is a reflection of our relationship with God, but that you submit it to what does God want me to do? And am I available to listen to his spirit, even through other people, and to be able to receive what God had for you and say, you know what, we want to change things and get on the right track, the track that we need to get on. Um, that is faithfulness. So God's going to honor you for that. And he probably already is. <laughs> um, I know it's going to help my marriage. So, hey, 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 <laughs> hey man, yeah. You know, and not in a not that there were problems, but my business has grown so big so fast. My husband has felt not connected to me and connected to the business in the same way I am. Ooh, can we? Can we? Can we touch on that for a second? Yeah. Marriage stuff. So with homesteading, like, so I'm single. I have no kids, never have had kids, never been married. And I am constantly in interaction with a lot of married people with like at least five kids because that's what homesteaders do. Um, we have six, so yeah. <laughs> so uh, one thing that I've learned from that is a lot of people get really stressed out. Uh, they even feel inadequacy and shame because of how they've neglected their spouse or neglected their kids or neglected their homesteading and really not having good uh, work-life family balance. Um, So one thing that I tell people is, um, let's say you have five slots in life. Um, I hold up five fingers and say, you got first slots for God because without him first, everything else just crumbles and fails. Um, Your next slot, especially if you're married, is your spouse. Slide after that's your kids. The reason why I separate those two is because you got a lot of people who make their kids more of a priority than their spouse. And mm-hmm. the reality is if you want your kids to have a um, healthy, fundamental understanding of their identity in God and their identity <clears throat> that God's created for them, then they need to see the reflection of that through your marriage. 
So the healthy foundation for raising children is a healthy foundation in your marriage first. They're not equal. I agree. I was speaking on raising self-sufficient kids that turned into a conversation as to why my husband and I disagree in front of our kids. So say that one more time. We disagree in front of our kids. Oh, man. So that they can see healthy discussion, healthy resolve, and that we can move on in life together. Amen. Amen. So those are the first three slots. God, your spouse, and then your kids. The next two, be be an expert in. You know, so I, I want to ask you, Cody, what are, what, are, what are those two slots for you where you've really focused on being an expert in? Uh, like, are you saying like something like my business or like the platform of my business? Like, I mean, that's kind of, because I feel like I like to be in, well, being an expert in educating and thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And that's even, I've done a lot of reflecting recently as to where my career path has taken me. And that's what I've always been trying to find. So, and then the farm, because we got to eat. <laughs> Amen. They sure do. Sure do. All right. I'll let you, I'll let you keep going. In the well, you got no, I love it because these are the types of things that us as homesteaders, it's a whole, I say us, you know, like our whole, this whole kind of movement that we're both involved in, um, this, you know, strive for self-sufficiency is a full picture being a well-rounded person and a well-rounded member of your community. And all of that, and be and you know, your community includes your family. So I think it's just so important to look at the health of that. And you know, like I was saying, my husband, he loves my business. He supports my business. He goes with me on my trips. He talks about my business. He ships books and doesn't complain once, you know, well, maybe a little, but <laughs> uh, from the time him and I got married, he was a disabled vet. So he's a stay-at-home dad, always has been. And when we got married, we decided to leave the dreaded California so that we could live in a place where I didn't have to work if I didn't want to. And I was working 80 hour weeks in a food plant. I wasn't mom, wife. I was nothing, you know, like I was just 80 hour weeks in a food plant. That was my life. That's what what we call a slave, man. Oh, I mean, I was taking phone calls at midnight on third shift people. Like, is there no one else you can call? Because I don't get paid enough for this. So. (laughs) And um, so we decided for me to come home and we spent several years where we built a life together every day, all day long. It was just us. We were homeschooling, farming, hunting, and we did it 24 seven together. And when this business took off, it takes me away a lot, whether it's me physically sitting in the room working or gone on conferences with the kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. And my idea brings him back into the loop for something that he's good at and excited for and can have something that is where he can show off how amazing he is too Mm -hmm. and brings it together and this is and it's filling a need that our community needs very badly so it's going to be I'd first like to talk about the whole self-sufficiency Thing. And then I'd like to talk about uh, when you had mentioned your something changed. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I can hear you. 
Uh, I think my audio changed for some reason. Uh oh. Testing, testing, one, two, three. I'm still here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, okay, okay. That, I just want to make sure. Okay, yeah, the audio okay. had switched really weird, random. Um, so let me let me start over. Uh, but okay. the other thing I'd like to also touch on is um, when you talked about your husband and highlighting your husband as well, because um, mm -hmm. I think that's super important too. Um, I feel like the term self-sufficiency, I think it had some good intentions, but I also think it's uh, kind of came from the pit of hell. <laughs> and what I mean by that is... Um, it's, an, it's a utopian concept that nobody can reach. Exactly, because God didn't design us to be self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. um, now, I do believe that there are definitely skills that we need to learn um, and have proficiency in, um, even when Noah's around. But guess what? How do I learn skills? From somebody. Um, so really, I believe more in like leaning on community for mm -hmm. skill learning, for resources, um, because God's called us to be a community. And I feel like that's where a lot of home centers start isolating themselves is because they spend so much time doing everything for themselves, by themselves, through themselves, that they're mm -hmm. not really putting enough faith in God um, to allow for them to experience community. Um, because when you have community in your life, God blesses you through that by having other people in your life. God speaks to you differently when you have other people in your life, and he will use those people to speak through you, to speak mm -hmm. to you um, in a way that your spouse can or your kids can. Um, so I think that's important. And just you talking about your husband, I really appreciate that because I think there are a lot of men, even in homesteading, who feel emasculated whether it's in their marriage, whether it's, um, let's say they lost a job and they have a supportive spouse, but personally for them, they're dealing with a lot of self-worthlessness, mm -hmm. um, a lot of grief for how life didn't turn out the way that they want it to, or even just dealing with trauma from years of old. Um, and so you really creating a space for your husband, um, not not because he's disabled or because he's a veteran, but because you just love him and want him in your life, I think is just such a beautiful thing about marriage. So just thank you for thank you for being a good wife or at least striving for that. We we, we men appreciate you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> you know what? I was actually um I'm doing a lot of back research right now. I'm writing a book called Homestead History. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just another, it's another curriculum, but it's going to be a U.S. history based on food and agriculture in the United States. Mm -hmm. And one thing that just kind of really was like a little bit of an eye opener for me is historically when they call women homemakers, it was because they were milking the cow, doing the garden, like doing all the things. And the men had other roles. And I think in this era that we're going through right now I struggle like emotionally for the men because I think that they don't know where their roles lie anymore and I think that's a societal issue that you know I mean my husband on a regular basis he's like I'm working on being a better leader I'm working on being a better leader because he even comes out of that, you know, the military where to be a leader was just the loudest. Mm -hmm. 
And he's having to relearn a lot of that when I'm the one who runs the whole house, the whole farm, the whole everything, because I'm the homemaker. But where does that leave him at that point? And I think, like you said, with a lot of this homestead movement is the women are spearheading it. And that doesn't mean it. And I I think it's because we have beautiful visions of our husbands out there holding the cow while we milk it. Or I, I don't know what exactly I'm trying to envision, but it's we see it as a team. And I think that it could be seen a lot as us taking over roles but I think it's actually kind of going more back to a historic role and even more women handle the house and men handle the next level out and I'm not even sure what that is at the moment because I'm relearning that but I think we have a pandemic of not celebrating who men are no, I, I mean, yeah, I agree 100%. That is our problem. Um, I, a lot of people get into, oh, it's a societal issue. And we got, and yes, it is a societal issue. Um, but society or the tangible world is a reflection of the spiritual world. Um, so there are a lot of men who didn't grow up with a father. Their father mm-hmm. was not present. Um, even when they were present, a lot of fathers were not present emotionally. They were not spiritual leaders of their household, um, and um, they also might not have been uh, mentally present because they were slaving, working a nine to five, or they were working mm-hmm. 80 hours like you are. Yeah. Uh, and for them, they were taught that being a traditional man means that you just bring home a paycheck. And that wasn't traditional could... until the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where... Like we need to go backwards <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I like to go backwards to about two thousand years. Um, there's this uh, cool man named uh, Jesus. He's really interesting. Guy <laughs> has a whole autobiography um, that spans thousands of years. Uh, one of the best sellers. I think it's called the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Pastor uh, Vodi Bakum talks about how men are called to be providers, protectors, and priests. Um, you know, a man is to, is to provide uh, to his fullest capacity, whatever his capacity or limitation might be. Um, that's not just financially. I believe that men need to provide their heart to both their spouse and their children, um, as well as their attention, being attentive to the needs of their spouse and their children. Um, men are called to be protectors. I tell people, even in the homestead conferences, I just flat out say to them, you know, it's cool that we love guns. I love shooting guns. Guns are fun. Um, but the government, the likelihood of your government coming in, stepping into your door, taking your guns, is less likely than Satan coming to your home, stealing, killing, and pillaging everything that is inside your home, including your family. I tell men, like, there's no point in hoarding guns and protecting and protecting guns. If you're not even protecting your own household um, spiritually, you mm-hmm. can't say you're protecting your household if you're allowing pornography into your household, if you're allowing alcoholism into your household, mm-hmm. um, if you're allowing gambling into your household. Um, that's not protecting your family. That is more likely to ruin and destroy your family than the government coming in and taking your stuff. 
I can't agree more. I talk all the time about how we reap the benefits that we sow. If you're not sowing into your family, you're not getting it back from them. Amen. Pre- preach it, sister. Preach it, <laughs> sister. Um, I've also been lastly, doing a lot say, of thinking lately. So, well, I was going to say, um, lastly, to wrap up that point, um, God's also called men to be priests in their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked with a lot of women who feel very suffocated by all the burden, spiritual burden, and role and responsibility of leading the house spiritually, when really they want their husbands to, to take charge in that. Um, what I would say is women, give your husband the space to fail in that. If you give him the space, he will fail here and there, but all you need to do is keep bringing them to God. It's literally it. And men, if you're listening, um, take that mantle. God's giving you that position. And even if you fail, it's okay. God is giving you sufficient grace. Even if your wife won't give you grace, understand that God's giving you grace and that your wife is not God. Um, your children are not God. Um, they, their love is not always unconditional, but his love is sufficient for you. So walk in that faith, walk in that love, that even when you do fail, even miserably, that you can still get back up, that there is still hope. Even if you fail to be a spiritual leader in your household, that you can come and rise into that role. It will take work, but it is possible in God's strength in your life. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. <laughs> no, I love it. I We need more of this conversation. That there's more to the life that we're all wanting right now than getting the goats. It's a whole picture. And I think that's a really big one that... Well, I mean... I'm not going into what my next big endeavor is too much, but (laughs) it is, I'm wanting to provide more of that to our community. And that's, it's part of my own growth as well. So, (laughs) all right. Um, We still talk about pigs. Let's talk about pigs. (laughs) I'm getting all like misty and stuff. We can't have any of that. (laughs) No, um, I know. I think that this is just as important as of a conversation on how to start our homesteads, start our farm businesses, and all this like self-sufficiency, community sufficiency, all those things that we're wanting right now, this has to be at the core of it. So. Amen. Amen. Because you can't take homesteading with you when you go to heaven or hell. And yes, praise God, there is a heaven, but yes, there is a hell because home sin's not eternal. What's eternal is your relationship with God through the spirit, your indirect relationship with God through how you treat other people and your indirect relationship with God and how you love yourself. And those are the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, body, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. I love it. Thank you. So now that we know how to be good people, how do we raise pigs? (laughs) (laughs) oh man um good question so normally when i go to a conference uh i'll do a pig q a because i I just know so much information about pigs that Mm -hmm. i can just talk for an hour and a half and people still have plenty of questions um so someone might ask like what's the best pig like punk ron can you tell me what the best pig is 
Is it the cute and, little ones with the waddles? <laughs> I will not confirm or deny. Um, <laughs> but but uh, what I, I say back to them, because I try to be like Jesus, I, I ask, I answer a question with a question and I'll say, okay, what, it's, it's not, what, what does the best look like for you? I tell people that the best pig is the best pig for you. So instead of thinking of like, what's the best pig in general, let's look at your context. What are the needs of your family? What are your, your needs for land management? What are your needs for how much pork you want? What quality or type of pork that you want? Mm -hmm. um, what are your financial resources like? And then that will help me help you navigate to an answer that works for you and your family, even if it's not necessarily the initial pig that you thought it was. No, I think that's a great answer because, I mean, even our conversation before we started recording is just that we chose the breeds that we do because of what we want to eat, what our community needs, what our market is. So I that's definitely a great place to start. Um, so let's say you bought a five acre piece and you definitely want some pork for your freezer and maybe make enough money to pay for your pork or pay for your pork endeavor. Where, where would you kind of get started with that? So it depends on the needs of your family. Um, so I'll use, well, I'll kind of do a, a mock demo with you and you'll answer to your needs and then that'll, that'll help that'll help with the conversation. Perfect. So I would ask you, Cody, um, you know, like A, how much pork would you would you consume in a year? How much you think? I don't know. I mean, we're a family of six, and you know, my husband likes to make breakfast sausage three or four mornings a week. So mm. and um he loves smoking a pork butt every other Friday if he can. So we definitely go through as much pork as possible. Perfect. So you're probably not looking for a pig that is going to be small. Um, and I'm pretty sure you, if you're eating that much pork, you need pork as quickly as possible. Is that correct? Yes. We, I mean, I'm, well, I mean, personally, I know we go through two to three pigs a year right now. Oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's important to know because, um, and I could have recommended a small breed or uh, maybe a small lard breed instead, but because I know that you need a lot of pork and you need it quick, um, that usually limits people to some of the bigger varieties, um, like currently you're raising Herefords, getting Herefords, Hamps, Yorkshire, even Red Waddle, Glassshire Old Spots. Um, those are just some very, very few examples of what kind of pig breeds a person in your situation would probably want to consider. And those breeds are usually ready to be slaughtered. If you're shooting for like 250 live weight, 250 pounds alive, um, they should be ready between six to eight months. Uh, for the lard breeds, it would be between eight to 10 months. Um, but by 10 months for a lard breed, they should be around 300. And by eight months for your meteor um, uh, commercialized breeds, they should be at 300 by eight months as well. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like a good start. Um, what should I be feeding them? Ooh, good question. Um, I mean, sh should I go down to, you know, if I'm, if I personally need to buy three piglets a year to feed out for my family, should I just run down to the feed store and buy the bag of feed? Depends on what your, um, what your options are. So 
If you've never raised picks before, audience, I hope y'all listening. If you've never raised picks before, my first recommendation is to buy feed. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that because they're like, oh, but I want to go the cheap route. Or that's expensive. Feed's expensive. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Feed is expensive. It's also uh, really to- a pain in the booty to be out there milling feed all day long, too. So, you know, let me just put that one out there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the people who are like, oh, I'll just mill my own feed. <laughs> If you thought you didn't have time, guess what? You really won't have time to do that. Um, So unless you got like 10 kids and sure, you can get one of them to do it. But, um, you know, I recommend people starting out at least their first year with feeding their pig actual feed because feed is designed to be a complete nutritional source. You're not having to use animal science or try to guess or figure out whether or not the feed that you're using is really going to be good for your pig um, in terms of getting them to grow the way that they need to grow because the science has already been figured out. So A, that's peace of mind. B, that gives you an understanding of how much food that animal's going to eat uh, within a year. So that way, when you buy your next pigs, even if you're going to formulate your feed differently or add some different things into the feed or supplement a little bit here and there, you're able to understand this is how much this breed of pig will eat. On top of that, when you have um, when you're starting out with uh, bought feed first, you understand what your pig should look like by month six, month eight, or month ten. And if you were to next year change up the feed, do something maybe a little bit alternative, you'll know whether or not that pig is hitting the mark from the standard. Does that make sense? So you, yeah, you should have a control group first and then change one variable and observe it. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, see, that's, that's she's, she's, she's a science girl. She said control group and variable. Yep. but yeah that's definitely is that's one thing I always talk on is if you're you know know what it's supposed to be and then only change one thing don't change eight things amen amen unless they are related to each other like you can change feed and change you know maybe a little bit more space that they have they could be some relation but it's not going to be as you know you're not gonna be like yeah I know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was also going to add. Happier pigs people, always do better, but. Amen. Well, I was also going to say for a lot of people, um, maybe they have concerns of what type of feed to give. They're buying feed, whether it be mm-hmm. conventional or non-GMO or certified organic. Here's my personal suggestion. I like non-GMO. Uh, reason why is because a glyphosate's not sprayed on it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a plus. Um, organic is kind of overkill, my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, so Personally, I, I, I've worked in food plants for a long time and to get an organic certification, at least as a food plant, you know, on the farms, I know it's a little different. They literally just come in and ask to see your paperwork and tell you to have a nice day. Yep. And you know how I know that? Huh. Because I'm uh, certified to be a um, organic inspector, yeah. USA. So <laughs> Like I've I've been through all the courses training and the amount of loopholes. When I worked in the food industry, like I worked in the, like the big commodity plants, I always Mm -hmm. wanted to be a USDA inspector. That was my like dream goal. Yeah, no, ew now, but what I ended up doing is working in the plants as the food safety specialist or the quality assurance person. I was the one who made sure we met all of those types of regulations. And 
yeah, now looking back on it, I'm like, I would do that so different. Like, I wish I could rewrite all their lots, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, organic versus, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, uh, my personal recommendation would be non-GMO if you can get it. Um, some <laughs> people, they don't mind glyphosate in their feed. So if you want to go conventional, totally no inherent problem with that. Um, that's that's you and your family. You guys make that decision. And if someone wants to shame you for it, you just say, oh, go, go take it to Jesus. Um, you know, um, and I think it's really important to understand some of the non-GMO stuff. There's only, what, how many products that are even a GMO consideration? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, it's a corn, soybeans, some exotic one. I can never remember. Do you remember? Yeah, the... The main thing is like corn and soybean in terms mm-hmm. of like animal feed, um, you know, and so in non-GMO, usually they are not always using corn or soy. They're using other alternatives mm-hmm. uh, like small grains. They might use wheat, barley, um, sorghum. Wheat, wheat, barley, and peas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Filled peas for protein. Yep. Mm-hmm. But we're in the Pacific Northwest. So, I mean, everybody's growing peas versus you know, Midwest, everyone's growing corn. So mm-hmm. plus my steaks, you wouldn't know that they were pork. You'd think it was a beef steak. They're beautiful. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about pork quality. Oh, that's another thing. A lot of, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to get this breed. And I'm like, okay, have you actually tasted the pork? Don't, whew, don't buy a pig breed until you have at least tried the pork. Mm-hmm. least if you look at it and you're like wow that's a lot of fat i don't even like that much fat maybe you don't want to consider that breed right it's maybe i've been really happy with my berkshires when it comes to the meat oh that's good yeah like i said we're trying herberts right now just kind of want to see we have our reasons but yeah we just want to see what's going to happen there and but that's a you know the great thing is I changed my boar. We wait a year and see how it works. We might go back to a Berkshire boar. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, the, what our steaks look like, I mean, it is just the flavor and like what I can make with this meat versus, you know, we were out of pork chops the other day and the kids, they were just like, oh, can we make some shake and bake pork chops for dinner? You know, like they like to make dinner once in a while. So that's their, that's one they can always do really easy. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll pick up some pork chops at the store. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> you're probably the kids, dry heaving. The kids were like, why are they so pasty? Mm-hmm. And bland. Why do they cut the fat off the pork chop? Right. That's a sin. Uh, yeah. Or like when I make carnitas and stuff, like I have all that fat in there. Like mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's the good stuff. Can I can I come to your house for dinner? Is that possible? Can we can we make I that think happen? I need, I'm thinking I need to write like a pork cookbook because like I am when we if we butcher a pig, I'm using every single cut and it's gonna taste good. Oh, and, yes. Praise the Lord. Oh, and the Lord. <laughs> we do like these pulled pork nachos where I put like a raspberry chipotle sauce over them. Like, oh, uh, okay. All right. Stop talking. You're making me hungry. I haven't even eaten lunch yet. I was going to, I was going to have some, uh, make some, uh, shrimp and bacon with sausage, Ooh. uh, on the skillet. And that was going to be my lunch because I'm, I'm keto. And, um, 
Uh, also had made homemade sauerkraut as Ooh. well. The red cabbage. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Oh. That sounds good. Yeah, I didn't even finish my coffee this morning. I got to talking to the kids and was like, oh, shoot, I have an interview. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I know personally if we're feeding out a pig uh, to butcher, we're looking at about a half a ton of feed. Mm. Does that sound about right? Wisdom about the hogwash. What's your context? How long are you raising the pig? Because if sure. you raise it for two more months, it'd be more than that. So how long do you raise them for? Um, probably about eight months. Eight months? Okay. Yeah. So a good uh, industry rule of thumb is on average, a market hog is going to eat around five pounds of feed a day. Now, mm-hmm. when they're younger, clearly they're not going to eat five pounds. And when they're older, clearly they're going to eat more than that. Mm-hmm. But on average, a market pig, a pig that's going to be slaughtered, is going to eat around five pounds of feet a day. So then you just kind of, you know, uh, do the math and see, okay, well, we're going to raise out our pig for six months. Yeah, <laughs> there, yeah, you sorry. <laughs> there you go. And you, and you might be, and, and the, again, wisdom without the hogwash. So like, depending on what season, because if it's too hot, they don't want to eat feed because if they eat feed, they generate internal body heat and pigs are very prone to heat stress. So mm-hmm. they will refuse to eat. That way they can hold down their their uh, internal body temperature and keep it cool. Um, so again, if you're in a hot season, you're feeding pigs, make sure they have plenty of water, a wallow, shade. Mm-hmm. That way they can they can maintain their daily gains daily growth without any adverse effect. If it's too cold, like during winter time, you're wintering out pigs, they don't eat more feed just to stay warm. So make sure they have plenty. Yeah, Yeah, y'all in Idaho. So I know it get cold up there. I got farmers up there. Um, So, you know, make sure you have plenty of straw, hay and straw, um, bedding, uh, even a shelter to kind of help keep them warm. That also will uh, help them maintain some of their gains because if you don't do any of those things they're just mm-hmm. going to be eating a lot of feed but not gaining a lot of weight from that yeah I mean and I know like summertime I have with fair pigs my kids are out there hosing them off all day long just to get them to eat yep. so mm-hmm. all right so oh oh, oh one second I want to make sure I make this point because I know some people will take this and run with it and not understand the context I mentioned market hogs Mm-hmm. This is for that five pounds a day is for meat breeds. Yes. That's Herefords, Berkshire, Gloucester Old Spot, Red Waddle, Tamworths, Yorks, Hamps, Polish China, or Poland China, um, and other breeds like that. That does not work necessarily for lard breeds. Lard breeds would be your um, uh, English Large Blacks, your Mulefoots, your Maishans. Uh, including your Osable Island hogs, guinea hogs, cooney coonies, and even IPPs. Um, those do not work as well under that under that regulation. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a little different when you start talking about lard breeds. Lard breeds, they should not be overfed. Um, the larger lard breeds, like your English large blacks or your mule foots, they should not be eating more than five pounds of feed a day, period. No more. So you need okay. to ration out their feed. You can't free feed them. If it's your smaller lard breeds, like your American guinea hogs, cooney coonies, and um, Osceball Island hogs, they should be eating more than two pounds of feed a day because, again, they're prone to obesity if they eat more grain than they should. 
So no more than two pounds of feet a day for your smaller lard breeds and no more than five pounds a day for your larger lard breeds, even if you're marking them out um, because you can grow them further um, by feeding them more feed, but it's going to be more fat, not muscle. Okay. That's really helpful. Um, mm -hmm. Now, okay. So this is a, a, a selfish question for my operation. So <laughs> our large breed girls, um, how much should I be feeding as a maintenance ration for my sows? <clears throat> um, how, how much do they weigh? Yeah, between five and seven. Five and seven. And what breeds are they again? I have kind of a mixture, but like Hereford Burks, like I think a, a York Burke, that kind of. Okay. Stall meat breeds. Um, mm -hmm. Five pounds a day would be probably usual for maintenance. When they're gestating, um, you want to feed them a little bit more, but probably like no more than six pounds. Uh, and right. you want to make sure that they're on a gestation ration um, because that's going to look a little bit different. Uh, and, and actually, I went to a and conference I mean, I recently. Say a, I say it's a selfish question, but when every homesteader I know, once they start with pigs the first year, then they want to start breeding. So, oh yeah, those people. That's are a stupid. whole nother ballpark. <laughs> yeah, that that's in, that's insanity. You you, I tell people here's a rule: don't breed until you've raised uh, two two have two seasons with pigs. Mm -hmm. And by seasons, I mean, you've gone through two rotations with pigs. So if you got Cooney Coonies, well, that's like almost two years. Mm -hmm. So by the by year four, you'll understand whether or not you want to breed that breed. Yeah. Don't breed pigs you've never, you've never raised that breed of. Um, it's a whole other thing. But um, uh, what was my initial, what were we talking about initially? I forgot. We were talking about uh, maintenance feed versus gestation feed. Gestation feed, right. Um, so I went to a conference recently with uh, NC Choices. And um, I sit on their board and we had a scientist come in from Colorado State. And she said that uh, for people who are interested in marbling and uh, like a lot to build more muscle, um, a lot of that is determined through gestation and through post weaning care. So before the pig is weaned. So marbling is really dictated like muscle growth, how much, how many muscle cells are produced, how many um, bone cells are produced is determined in gestation. So you need to make sure that your pig has quality feed, your sow has quality feed, the correct feed ration. So that way the piglets can come out strong. Now, if you're interested in marbling for those pigs that maybe you might want to eat someday, then um, you need to make sure that they are getting a lot of calories these pigs are getting a lot of calories um, during weaning. So you think like, okay, well, how do I get my piglets to get a lot of calories if they're not eating feed? Good question. Thank you for asking that. You <laughs> want to do it through the sow. So you want to give your sow as much feed as they want, as much. Um, okay. The more calories, the better. And then um, the issue with that sometimes is that people would overfeed their sow during gestation and before gestation. So then the sow, now that's pregnant, she doesn't want to move a lot. She just kind of wants to stay still as much as possible. So if you overfed your sow during before pregnancy or before gestation, during gestation, she will then use her fat reserves to produce milk. Her fat reserve milk production sucks. It's not as good. It's not high in yeah. calories. 
So you need to make sure she has a good body condition score. Go go research that. It's pretty mm-hmm. simple, simple stuff. Body and um, yeah, body condition score. I'll link, I'll sure. link a good link to that. Thank you, ma'am. Um, so make sure that your sow has a good body condition score before, before insemination and during gestation. So that way when she's, um, she's feral and she's um, nursing her piglets, she's going to eat the feed. She's going to want to eat the feed rather than depend on her fat reserves. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, we always make sure they have good, you know, body condition scores at breeding. We don't even put them back in because we do kind of a, we call it general pop, but like everybody kind of runs together. So we don't even put them back out into general pop until they've been weaned for a couple of weeks to make sure they have their body condition scores back up and stuff. But I hadn't really thought about it. So at, before gestation or before uh, farrowing, we pull them out of general pop about, we try to catch them three to four weeks before so that they can, they aren't having to fight for their feed anymore and that they just have feed available to them, but they still get fed the same amount. Mm-hmm. So like that same about five pounds a day, you know, when it's out in general pop, they, they get a five gallon bucket that's been measured out for you know, six girls or something. Mm-hmm. But once they come in and they get their five their five pounds to themselves. So I don't know that we've really had any issues with that. Um, and then, yeah, we do free feed them once they farrow. Plus that, you know, as the piglets start wandering around, they have something to munch on. Mm-hmm. But of course they go to a starter feed, but at least there's something there for them to munch on if they want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what would be, would you change protein amounts or anything as you're moving into gestation and nursing time? Protein for cells? Um, no, because they can't. So like um, when I tell people uh, about protein consumption, general rule of thumb, this is uh, industry standard. So some mm-hmm. breeds do not, are not a part of this standard. Um, 18% crude protein after weaning. And then that will drop down to somewhere around 16% crude protein. Um, and this is millimeter. for the piglets? Yeah, this is for the, for the piglets. And I'll, 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 I'll lead up into the sows okay. and boars. Um, so that'll drop down to around uh, 16% in the middle of their life spanned as feeder pigs. And then by their um, last three months, two to three months or so, they're going to be on a finisher ration, which is higher in calories. So the crude protein is going to be around 14%. Um, When it comes to breeding stock, pigs who are going to live past eight months, all the way into maybe five years, those pigs are usually not going, their crude protein is going to be like 12 to 10, somewhere around there. They don't need a lot of crude protein because their body does not metabolize it well, like it did when it was younger. So when do you start them at 12? After like eight months or? So you start them at 12 when you decided that they're going to be breeding stock. Okay. So probably somewhere around the time they're a feeder. Uh, so if it's a meat breed and you're holding them out, let's say you were thinking about eating them and you're like, oh man, she looks really, she looks too good to, 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 mm-hmm. to turn the bacon. All right. Um, she's probably around six, eight months old. Um, okay. So put her on a 12% after that, percent crude protein after okay. that. Um, and then 
see how she does within a year. I don't recommend breathing pigs, sows, or gilts until they're probably closer to a year old. The reason why is because you want to make sure that she develops right. Um, and she develops the way that you think that she's going to develop, making sure her feet are good, making sure her length is going to be good, um, making sure that um, uh, like all her teats are going to show. She's not going to have any blind teats or anything like that. So you want to give her some time just to see whether or not she's going to be what you think she'll be in terms of being a, a mother body-wise. All right. And then do you still feed them 12% at gestation and when they're nursing or? Uh, for, it will be somewhere around, it might be, it might be a little bit more than 12 uh, or it probably will be at 12. I, I do not remember, so I will not quote anything. Um, right. You do not want to feed them high protein. The reason why okay. is the piglets get too big. And if you have a new mom, she could literally die during farrowing because her piglets are too big because you fed her too much protein. Um, I had one friend, he became my best friend. Um, we we start building a relationship because his pig died. Oh. One of his sows died from that. He had an unplanned pig pregnancy, was what I like to say. Um, and it happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to pig farm. Um, <laughs> and um, he ended up having a sow that he was feeding 18% crude protein, not realizing she was Ooh. pregnant. Yeah. So she died because her piglets were just way too big. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, we we have this sow we call Big Bertha. <laughs> she, she's huge. She's probably six feet long. Wow. And yeah. And this last litter that she had, like before she had the babies, her teats were dragging the ground. Mm -hmm. like she's york and landrace and duroc yep. i believe so I that landrace it, uh, is what gives her that length you know mm -hmm. but i mean she was dragging and she had 17 piglets that i was shocked at the size so like um two didn't make it which at 17 that's pretty you know that's great if only two didn't make it that's yeah, right and so my daughter wanted to donate them to the 4-h vet science group mm -hmm. so she goes up with the big ziploc bags and she couldn't fit that those piglets in these the big like ziploc bags and i was like holy cow like how did she even have those babies <laughs> like i was shocked at how huge they were that's one thing about the um york Duroc, landrace just there's commercial crosses they're not really designed for longevity yeah there's designed for quick productivity and usually by year by by year three, those pigs are turned into sausage. She's um, probably commercial standard. We're thinking one more litter with her just because of how stretched out she got. Um, but yep. she's been a good sow up to this point. She was an accidental sow, sort of. <laughs> um should we part of our process of going from the pack of seeds to the incubated chicks in between buying pigs is I used all the money from incubating chicks to source piglets from out of area during COVID. Mm. So I found a really good rate on piglets. I charged people, I think double. And I told them I'm charging you double because I'm going to get them. And everybody was like, yeah, solid, you know? So in that, we ended up with some extras. I was able to pay to buy all the feed to feed out my extras. And then I sold my extras as whole hogs. But she she ended up hanging out. So 
she just she she wasn't sold at first we actually we really hated her so we were like yeah we're not gonna keep her but we'll just butcher her ourselves and then yeah she got pregnant <laughs> so uh, we were like, uh-huh. ah. unplanned pig <laughs> pregnancies they are a yeah. thing so she, um, I mean, she had a good sow but it's time for her to you know we've had sows that were not nice sows we had one sow that was very rude and um she took a trip to freezer camp so freezer camp freezer <laughs> camp freezer camp because freezer camp is the best camp um <laughs> that's what happens when you're rude on our farm so <laughs> amen amen god set boundaries even with pigs not just about people too <laughs> pigs too but uh what i was going to say with the, the oh, commercial hey, crosses hey. oh can you hear me yeah we're good now um but what i was going to say with the commercial crosses is that um one one biggest issue is not just the longevity it's their back a lot of commercial mm-hmm. uh, pigs are are bred to have a flat back. That's yeah. not meant for longevity. That's why if you look mm-hmm. at the large heritage breeds, they their backs for the sows are typically um, more of a hump, like an arch. So if you have an arch structure that provides mm-hmm. better stability than a uh, like a flat surface. So she'll be able to, if she has an arch back, she'll be able to farrow a lot longer um, oh. and be more productive because her back won't concave in through so, a whole bunch of farrowing. Like my listeners can't see this, but she actually doesn't, from what you're describing, she doesn't look that bad then. No, she's not. Yeah, she actually looks pretty good. But she yeah. was dragging like that for two weeks before she had those poor babies. Aww. So we we were like, she's going to pop. Like, where's the eject button? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, we're about running out of time and I have a, another interview this morning, but I have absolutely loved this conversation. Um, can you tell everybody a little bit more about where they can find you and learn more about Raising Hogs? Sure can. Um, so if you're interested in learning about not just how to raise pigs, but also maybe other types of livestock and how to be profitable in that, um, come check me out on YouTube. Um, the current name is Pork Rind TV. However, uh, by the end of this month, it will transition into a new name, a new brand called Agro Educators. Um, yes, y'all getting a sneak peek on that. Um, so if you come, you listen to this podcast several months well, I later. Get for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's about like the entrepreneur stuff. Like I have a personal brand. It's very strong, but it's time to um, develop my business brand more. So that way I can talk about more than pigs because I know more than just pigs. All right. Well, I love that. I mean, obviously as the homestead education, this is definitely right up my alley so i'm excited to i I might actually watch your channel i don't watch youtube so i might actually watch that yes (laughs) so my favorite question for all of my guests is what does keep growing mean to you keep growing um oh man so i was reading job this morning the book of job and Mm -hmm. um you want to talk about keep growing. This man lost everything except his body, except his soul. And um, one thing that I learned through reading is that Satan's design for um, is for us to curse God 
And so the first step that Job took towards that was not actually cursing God to, to his face. It was cursing himself for even being born. That mm -hmm. was the first step. And I can relate to that because I used to curse myself when I was living in active addiction to um, alcohol or sex and pornography or binge eating. And one thing I've learned from that experience is God did not call me to be cursed. He did not design me to be cursed. Yet oftentimes I'm the one cursing myself the most. And Satan wins when he does that. So what I am, well, I think of that, 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 that slogan that you just said, I think it's a slogan. Now a question is a slogan is, um, you know, for me well, to grow. For my business, it is a slogan, but there's more behind it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, for me to grow, it's, it's A, accepting that I'm loved. The more I accept God's love for me, the love that God's given me to other people, um, and the more I grow to love myself, not in a self-centered way, because God wants me to love the creation that mm -hmm. he's made in me. Um, that is growth. And when I'm operating from that standpoint, it allows me to um, be able to love other people more effectively. But I can't love other people more effectively if I don't love myself. And I can't love myself if I really don't love God and understand that he's given me a strong identity. He's not called me to be um, wallow in, in, in murk, in darkness, but he's called me to be a son of the light, a part of a royal priesthood. So that is growth for me is accepting that God loves me, that I am capable of love and I'm capable of being loved. That is growth. The more I accept that every single day, the more I grow. I love Amen. that. So well, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I was, looks like we'll be speaking at some of the same events this year. So I really hope we can reconnect again and um, keep growing. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education, and I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Homestead Education and Instagram at Homestead underscore Education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing.